0: Hi, everyone. This is David Cohen, and I'm here with my amazing co-host, Brad Feld. Hey, Brad. And this is the Give First podcast. In the startup world, Give First means simply trying to help anyone, especially entrepreneurs, without any expectation of getting anything back. So we'll be talking to mentors and founders about what Give First looks like in action and how it makes great entrepreneurship possible. We polled everyone, and they said consistently that their favorite part of the show was the legal mumbo-jumbo. So here it is. The following discussion is an expression of personal opinion and does not represent the opinion of Techstars or any company we discuss. Our conversations for informational purposes only, including any mention of securities or funds. This is not legal, business investment, or tax advice and is not intended for use by any investor. Certain of Techstars funds own or may own in the future securities and some of the companies discussed in this podcast. Got it? I'm really excited to talk to Lolita Taub on this episode of the Give First podcast. It's your co-host, David Cohen. We are talking about Give First. Lolita, thanks for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: You do a lot. I'm checking out your background. You're an investor. You're involved in some operating businesses. You're mentoring. You're scouting. You're doing all kinds of stuff. So I'm really excited to talk to you about a few of the things that you're passionate about. But how do you describe yourself today?
1: I think the easiest way to think of me is someone who is absolutely passionate about increasing the number of dollars going into underestimated founders and increasing the number of investors that come from underestimated communities. And the last bit I would say is for me, what's really important is connecting people to people and resources to achieve results. But formally, In terms of titles, I am interim head of sales at a Series A startup and the co-founder and general partner at the Community Fund.
0: And how do those things work together? You're working as an operator in a business, but you're also investing. And how do you split your time?
1: Well, that's a question that I try to answer every day. Now, being an operator investor is something that is not really too new. I think that it's being popularized by Twitter. There's an entire community of operators that are investing at the same time. And so what it looks like during the day, though, in the core hours of a workday, I'm doing my day job. Any break or evening weekends is spent definitely on the investing side of things. And that includes Saturday and Sunday.
0: Got it. Yeah, it, <laughs> does, it does for too many of us. Hopefully you can find some balance there in one of those days, at least. Talk a bit more about the community fund. How did it get going and, you know, what's the story behind it and what is this focus that you have around community-driven companies?
1: Sure. I'd love to share about that. I love community-driven companies. So the way it got started really is... Jesse Middleton, my co-founder and partner at the Community Fund and I met on Twitter and we both realized that we had a passion for community driven companies, not just because we're community builders ourselves. He comes from a background of building WeWork and myself, I've been building communities my entire life, starting with my community in South Central, which Without my family, probably couldn't eat or stay safe from some of the gangs in South Central. So definitely know the value of having community from an early age, but then went on to do global shapers and lead communities in that sphere. And I've just been involved in community building for a long time. So Jesse and I met on Twitter and we got to talking and both really strongly believe that the unicorns of the future, as we're already seeing them in any case, will be community driven. And so, what do we mean by community driven? We think of community driven companies as companies that have customers that identify as members where members have a space to create value for each other and then start this marketing sales flywheel. And so an example on the B2C side could be something like an Airbnb and relative to like a BRBO, right? You look at Airbnb, you see the valuation, you see how successful their IPO was, and then you look at BRBO and you're just like, well, why is there such a huge valuation difference? And to us, it's the community. You also take a look at Glossier, Peloton, and then on the B2B side, something like MongoDB.
0: When you see those community-driven companies, some of them choose to go all the way to the extreme of offering their equity to their community. But this was talked about a lot with companies like Uber, right, that have this community that's engaged, but maybe not in the same way. What do you think about this trend towards the community actually being involved as a shareholder?
1: I think that's a very hot topic this week as we see Republic and other equity crowdfunding platforms launching these initiatives where startups can fundraise from the community. I think it's great if you involve the communities, your customers into building your company. Only good things can come out of it. I do think from a founder perspective that it's important to keep a balance between why you're taking money and how you're taking the money. I do see the added value in equity crowdfunding. At the same time, I really believe in the value add the venture capitalists can bring to the table as well.
0: It's always a sort of push and pull on that topic, right? Because many investors, GPs of funds will say, we don't want all that information flow. We don't want all that involvement from the many, from the crowd. But some businesses, you know, really are more compatible with it than others. Like anything in life, lots of pros and cons there, I imagine.
1: Here's the thing, even though I absolutely love community-driven companies, not all companies need to be community-driven in terms of thinking of success. You do it because it makes sense. I think right now the reason why it makes the most sense for a lot of companies is because being able to reach out and grow your customer base is becoming increasingly expensive. And between throwing dollars at Google AdWords or doing other highly cost-efficient methods, community is a great way of doing a few things, or actually many things, but it's bringing people together that can within themselves add value to each other, which I think is always super cool. And I think you would agree too at Techstars and just from being a mentor it's all about building a community that gives to each other. But then there's all these other benefits, right? If you have an engaged community and you build it and you nourish it, then you can build on retention, on lifetime value, on sales leads, on margins, on sticky factor. It's something that becomes a differentiation mode that's hard to replicate for competitors. Even just thinking about what's one of the things that early stage companies are always looking for and that's talent. And if you have a primed community that's getting value from the community that you've put out, then you have like this incredible community of people where you can pick talent that they don't need to ramp up and understand who you are, or what you're about. You could just pluck them and say, hey, this is a great person to add to the team. So those are some of the great benefits of a community driven company.
0: Certainly, Techstars, you know, you're you a mentor in the Techstars Anywhere program. Thank you for that. There are 100 mentors probably in that program. There are many, many thousands around the world and, of course, many thousands of alumni. And, and just the ability to use each other's products and give each other feedback and be talent across that network is so, so powerful. So definitely a big believer in that and love the idea of a fund focused on that concept. That's really cool. We love it too. I want to switch gears. Ryan, uh, who runs the Techstars Anywhere program uh, as part of our team, has said your Twitter account, Lolita Taub, is a treasure chest of give first content. And it it is where I first learned about the startup investor matching tool. And I imagine that's one of the ways where you're trying to help the underestimated uh, entrepreneurs find the resources they need. Is that the sort of impetus behind it? And tell us more about how it works.
1: I think it comes back to giving first and adding value to those you want to work with. So my Twitter, I do try to use it to share the best resources that I can find for underestimated founders in pre-seed, of family, friends round, you know, very early on in seed stage. And so anytime I find a really great resource, I am tweeting it out. I've also created a newsletter where I aggregate and curate All the best content that I've seen in terms of funding or programs or whatever it may be, events, so that underestimated founders can really have all of the resources that they need to be successful. And the startup investor matching tool came about because of a tweet. (laughs) Seems like my whole life revolves around
0: Twitter. What doesn't?
1: (laughs) So I put out a tweet last year, and this is right when COVID had hit, and it was a call to action to investors to put their thesis, their check size, their geo, it was some of this information and how to reach out to them so that underestimated founders could just reach out directly and pitch them. And what I found out was that startups actually got funding from that thread, and I thought, well, this thread is great and it's going to live on. So there's like hundreds of investors in this thread if you want to go look for it. But what I thought was it's highly inefficient because I know that there's going to be some founders who may not, they may not think about, hey, do I actually fit the thesis or not, even though it's right there. This is one of the challenges with early stage founders that are first-time founders that are coming from underestimated communities. They may think like all investors are, are made the same. And so on a weekend with my husband Josh I said wouldn't it be great if we could create a matching tool and then we could have investors submit their investment criteria the startups submit their data have the program identify matches and then send these matches to investors and then have them request intros so you know that every intro that I make would be high quality and the founder would get this access to an investor that he or she might have not. And so it took me a couple of weekends, but I finally convinced my husband to help program this thing. And we've been going at it for now, less than a year for sure. And we built the startup investor matching tool and, and it is exactly what I just shared. So it's a platform for underestimated founders to get interest to investors. And so as a founder, you can submit your company. As an investor, you submit your thesis and we match and I make intros. And during this time, we've been able to, actually yesterday, we just saw the latest check post intro that happened. It's check number 22 and we're at over... 3.8 million, I want to say, in value. So we're super excited about that. And as I mentioned at the beginning, one of the goals that I am working towards for our community is increasing the number of dollars going into underestimated founders. So it feels really great. And wow, are these founders amazing? I mean, they're getting the checks, right? I'm just making
0: introductions. How does this help you directly? Why do that? Does it directly help the community fund? Does it directly help the work you're doing at Catalyst? Like, why are you doing this?
1: Because I really believe that there's a lot of money being left on the table and not investing in underestimated founders. I also believe there's a social capital gap in the community where the reason why some investors and some community investors say that there's a pipeline problem is not because there's a pipeline problem, but because they just don't know anyone who's outside of their bubble. And so there's definitely reasons as an investor, I get to see incredible deal flow. I see hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of startups on the end of the investor, I'm also getting to know a lot of investors who actually are not just playing lip service to saying, hey, we are looking outside of our bubble, which to me means a lot because when you say, hey, I can see the potential outside of this traditional status quo, Silicon Valley pattern matching, that means a great deal. Those are people I want to work with. And then yes, it does definitely help get the word out in terms of the community fund. Although for community driven companies, We certainly point those folks to the community.vc, which is our website, for specifically community-driven companies. The Startup Investor Matching tool is for everybody, and we have investors from all over the world. And at the core of it is really giving first. I love to be able to add value, and I don't know that any of us don't like that feeling of, hey, you added value and you made some shift in the industry. And for sure, for sure, I will never stop working on shifting the idea of who are the check writers and what founders are getting those checks. And so I'm very proud to be part of that community. And and I count you in that community, David.
0: Yeah. And I asked the question, you know, what's in it for you a little bit tongue in cheek, because I know it's super give first and A lot of people who are contemplating, how can I give to a community I'm involved with without it being, A, all all time consuming and that's the only thing I do, but B, also having it in some way help me. It's not that there's a direct benefit for you. Again, your tool is much wider than you know, just people who might qualify for the community fund based on what they're doing. It's helping a lot more people. And sure, it reflects positively on you. But the the real reason you're doing it is because you care about the thing. In what way has the existence of the startup investor matching tool actually ended up helping you that maybe was a little surprising?
1: As I mentioned before, Jesse, my co-founder at the community fund, met me on Twitter and while I'm building the startup investor matching tool, he's seeing all of this development, all these investors meeting underestimated founders, and he really saw how I was becoming a, a leader in the space, a space that I've been really serving the community of underestimated founders and connecting with investors of underestimated communities. And so it really helped build my brand and make me a bit of a center point or gravitational pull of where underestimated founders go to get introductions to investors and then at tangentially as i started building the newsletter and tweeting even more resources it just started amplifying the community and so if someone thinks about hey how do we serve or how do we connect or is there someone who can give us some thoughts on founders that come from underestimated communities people tend to come to me and that's super powerful because it allows me to have a voice and speak for those who may not be able to speak. But also, it gives me the best deal flow. So <laughs> I'm just super grateful.
0: Yeah, that doesn't hurt anything to have a deal that, that does match. But again, you're helping a lot more people in that. I want to dig into this uh, thing with Jesse a little bit, though. He's, I think, in New York. He uh, is. If I'm not mistaken. I believe you're based in San Diego,
1: Um, I am. Is
0: that right? And so you've got this sort of bi-coastal thing going on, and it sounds like a relatively new relationship in the last year or two, if I'm tracking correctly. That's right. How did that evolve during a pandemic, and how does it work to run a venture firm from two coasts?
1: Yeah. Well, I think if we were in the pre-COVID world, this would be more applicable. But I mean, as you will know from Techstars Anywhere or just from working from home, We've just all quickly adapted to working virtually and just making sure we have good communication. So whether it's texting or slacking or jumping on a Zoom call, that's something that we have to do a lot of. As we were starting our relationship, I think, again, being on social media, building presence, like we both get to understand each other better. And actually, when we first launched the community fund, we both decided to sit down and basically write our life stories and how we got to the community fund. And during that process, it was really hard for him and I to actually write that out because we had to be vulnerable and share different things. And as we were working through those, we really got to know each other on, on a much deeper level. Most of it got into our blog posts. A lot of it didn't as well. But being in this COVID work from home space has really propelled us to think of ways of developing our relationship. And I think one thing is that's really important, whether you're virtual and working from one coast to another or not, what's important is to be able to create a space, a safe space of giving each other feedback. So for sure, Jesse is different than I am in approaching things. And sometimes we come into disagreements. And I've, told him this, like even just this recent last week, what I really appreciated about working with Jesse is that we can get on a call or Zoom or text or whatever, and we could just be straight up with each other. We could be very direct. And I think that that kind of relationship where you can just say, Hey, I'm having an issue with this. Can you do this? Or, Hey, we can work on this better this way. And can you take this? And can I take that? Makes it so much easier. But relationships are relationships. They're gooey and sticky but definitely worthwhile when you're going after an incredible market as a venture capitalist, as well as with this approach of building community and knowing that Jesse's all about that too.
0: Isn't it funny? I feel like we've learned so much about what's possible during the pandemic. And, you know, we're, spending so much time on Zoom and, and we can do it. We can have an actual relationship. We just hired Mel Gave, who's our CEO now at Techstars. I led that process for the board and never met her in person because of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, but boy, do we have a relationship, right? And she was you know, able to meet a few of us, but it was hard. And I think people are making investments that way now. They're building partnerships that way. And It can be done, uh, just like you can work from home and so many other things we've learned during all this.
1: Ryan at Techstars Anywhere, he's a great example of this, right? He was doing this before this was a thing, before accelerators were all online. But we've all had to adjust. And for those of us who've had some practice, I think it just comes a little bit more easily. And personally, we've written at the community fund where I think at investment number 15, and we've never met these people. They've all been virtual. And, you know, I'm part of the Techstars Anywhere program now as a mentor. And we've never, well, I've met Ryan because he's kind of my neighbor as well. But-
0: <laughs> Well, you did co-found the, the meetup in San Diego with him as well.
1: We did co-found a meetup, yes. We were bringing people together over coffee and it was wonderful while it lasted. And hopefully they come back. Coffee meetups are the best. So hopefully we can I've go
0: back to the that. San Diego one on Clubhouse that has been going on, which maybe is a little bit of a replacement for that for now.
1: Clubhouse is great, but it's a little bit overwhelming. I know some people are spending basically every waking moment of their lives there. And I'm trying to get on it, but then I don't know. I think you need to balance it out. And all the calls that I've ever been on the panels, they go for two hours. And it's a pretty big amount of time. And when you're balancing the Investor Operator Act, it's like, okay, I can only do maybe one a week at max.
0: I think it's a little bit become the new background radio channel that people have. So the, the engagement that you think you're getting, you may not be getting because I've done a bunch of events on there too. And I think a lot of people are just kind of passively listening while they're doing their email or something else.
1: Maybe I need to be one of those because I tend to be a speaker and they do take quite a bit of time and engagement where you can't just jump off. And actually, we just started the Community Fund a series of Clubhouse So every other week We were hosting talks and it's no joke. Like there's a lot of programming, event planning that go in the background. And so I'm really curious to see how our ecosystem evolves because it is a lot to be in so many places. One really interesting tool that I'm experimenting with is Twitter Spaces. I just got access to it. And it's really interesting. And What I really like about it is that it forces you to be spontaneous. You cannot schedule or calendar an event. It just happens when it happens. And it only allows you to write, you know, one sentence description, if at all, on the topic that you're talking about. So we'll see how the space evolves.
0: There you go. The latest on Clubhouse here on the GIF First podcast. I want to switch gears and hit the rapid fire questions for you. Just give me, if you can, quick answers and you can say pass if you don't love anything. But for underestimated entrepreneurs that are maybe listening, the best book or single resource other than your stuff that you've seen out there.
1: Venture Deals by Brad Feld. I always recommend that book.
0: And there's a whole free class that goes along with that. I just did an AMA for it the other day, and you can participate in learning around the book as well. So that's a great one. If you could have dinner with anyone throughout history from any time, dead or alive, doesn't matter, who would you want to have dinner with?
1: That would have to be Beyonce.
0: I don't even need you to explain why on that (laughs) one. I'm just going (laughs) to let that answer stand on its own. I think that's an excellent answer. How about a place in the world that you think everybody should visit before they're done with their time on Earth?
1: Oh, gosh, I have so many. I am a big traveler. My husband and I have traveled to over 70 countries, so that one's a hard one. But in short, I'll just say if there's one place you get to travel to and one place only and you love food, it would have to be Japan.
0: I agree with that. Love Japan. One of my favorite places to visit. If somebody wants to get involved with the work you're doing to help underestimated entrepreneurs get the resources they need, how should they contact you?
1: I think the easiest way is just to follow me on Twitter at Lolita Taub.
0: All right. Well, thanks for joining us on the show and thanks for everything you do. Uh, You're making a huge difference. I hear about that matching tool. I hear about your thought leadership. I think it's making a huge difference and it's been fun talking to you. Thanks for joining.
1: Thank you for having me, David.
0: Thanks a lot for listening to the show today. We'd love to hear your feedback, ideas, or who you'd like to hear next on Give First. And please leave a rating and review, ideally a good one, and reach out anytime to podcasts at techstars.com or on Twitter, I'm at David Cohen. See you next time. Don't forget, give first.